The scripture reading this morning is Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. So listen now to the word of the Lord. In the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, King Rezim of Aram, and King, king Pekah, son of Remaliah of Israel, went up to attack Jerusalem, but could not mount an attack against it. When the house of David heard that Aram had allied itself with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out and meet Ahaz, you and your son, Shear Yashub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramaliah. Because Aram with Ephraim and the son of Ramaliah has plotted evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and cut off Jerusalem and conquer it for ourselves and make the son of Tabil king in it. Therefore, thus says the Lord your God, It shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered, no longer a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you do not stand firm in faith, you shall not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol, or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will, will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to re refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Mike. Well, good morning, friends. This is our last Sunday in Advent. Can you believe that? Christmas is literally seven days away. It feels like it came so fast. Um, but as Heather was mentioning before, the season of Advent is about the coming of Christ and about the waiting for the coming of Christ. So we've talked a lot about waiting this season. We've talked a lot about the weariness that we experience in the meantime. Our weariness of things like violence and evil, or of feeling fear about things that are going on in our lives or about one global crisis after another. There's been a little bit of a heaviness mixed into this season of joy because 
we can recognize deep in our bones that we still have a desperate need for Christ to come and set things right. So today on our final Sunday, we're going to talk about our weariness of injustice using this text from Isaiah 7 about what the advent of God's justice looks like in the person of Christ. But first, uh, let's pray together. Lord, give us your word this morning in the midst of our waiting. Hear our cries in the midst of our weariness. Let us be open to the good news that you have for us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So what is it that you think of when you hear the word justice? Or maybe you can have an image in your head of a particularly unjust situation where you know something is clearly not as it should be. I think we hear the word justice a lot these days. We talk about our need for social justice. Uh, we have things like justice systems and justice says the act as judges. We say we're a nation of liberty and justice. But what does justice mean? What actually is it? When I was growing up, my sense of justice had a lot to do with things being fair. I don't know if this sounds similar to you at all, but I'm the oldest of three siblings, and for better or worse, that somehow entitled me to what I thought was a pretty solid sense of right and wrong. And right was for things to be fair and equal, and wrong was for anyone to get special treatment. So I remember my parents telling me over and over that I had to wait until I was 16 to get a cell phone, right? Because you needed a cell phone when you could drive, but you didn't need one before that. And so I waited, and I waited, and then finally I turned 16, and I got a cell phone. But guess who else got a cell phone that day? Yeah, my younger sister, who was 14. <laughs> So you can bet that my sense of injustice was just through the roof that day. <laughs> right, I think I might have been more upset that she got a cell phone two years earlier than I did than I was excited at finally having one on my own. That's how intent I was in my demand for fairness. Right? I deserved to get a phone because I had waited patiently. She deserved to have to wait two more years. That's what was fair. That's what was just. It was a standard of equality. Right? We get what we're due in equal measure, and no one gets special treatment. Now as an adult, I've, I've learned to think of justice not just as equality, but also as equity. Right? Not that we receive the same things across the board, but that we're able to receive whatever measure of help we need in order to overcome similar obstacles and to be successful. And in both cases, you could reasonably define these things as fair, right? And in either case, when we feel like our idea of fairness is violated, we perceive that as an injustice. It hurts. It's frustrating. And a lot of times it even scares us. Similarly, we can feel that sense of injustice when an individual or a group commits some sort of wrongdoing against another person or group of people, right? This can be as small as like a two-year-old snatching a toy from one of their friends, or it can be as big as one country invading another like we're seeing with Russia and Ukraine. We have a strong sense in those times of injustice for ourselves and on behalf of other people 
when something feels wrong and there's an ache in our gut for things to be put right. We know that the world is not as it should be. And that's at the heart of our desire for justice, for things to be made right. Well, we've been walking through these texts from the book of Isaiah in Advent, and this text from chapter 7 is where we encounter King Ahaz, who felt no small amount of fear himself when things were not going right. And last week, Pastor Chris reminded us that at this point in history, when Isaiah is teaching, it's about 700 years before the time of Jesus. And this was when the nation of Israel was divided into two separate kingdoms. The kingdom of Israel, with its capital of Samaria in the north, and the kingdom of Judah, with its capital of Jerusalem in the south. And Ahaz was the new king in Judah. He was part of the line of King David. And he was just 20 years old when his father took the throne. And shortly after, we see this particular conversation in chapter 7 between him and Isaiah in an event that is called the Syro-Ephraimite War. And so this was when the kingdom of Assyria, which we can see there at the top in blue, was starting to gain power in this region. And they were starting to expand the, the borders of their territories. And so King Rezin of Aram, which is also called Syria, there in red, and King Pekah of Israel, which is also called Ephraim in purple, they formed the Syro-Ephraimite Alliance to oppose the conquest of the Assyrian king from the north. And they tried to enlist King Ahaz of Judah down there in the green into that alliance. And when King Ahaz refused, those two kings decided instead to unite and attack Jerusalem to depose and to kill Ahaz and to install a king that would be friendly to their cause in his place. And we're told in verse 2 of this text that when the, ha- or, sorry, when the house of David heard that Aram had allied itself with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So they were terrified, right? We can imagine shaking like a leaf. Two powerful neighboring armies were about to come in and try to crush their homeland. They were even threatening God's own covenant line of kings. So this is our moment of injustice. Something is not right. And to protect himself, Ahaz considers allying himself instead with the king of Assyria to overcome this threat. So he was ready to look for justice in the form of the largest army, someone who could retaliate against his enemies and ensure that he could keep the throne that he deserved. This was his idea of justice. And instead, God sends a message to Ahaz with Isaiah. And he says, take heed, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. This conquest that you're afraid of, it shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. So God promises that if King Ahaz will only trust him, he will not let Jerusalem fall. Many times over in scripture, we hear the same concept repeated where God's people are reminded to trust in the justice of God. We see it in Psalm 9, where King David himself once wrote, the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with equity. 
The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Trust in the justice of God. Psalm 145 also tells us that the Lord is just in all of his ways and kind in all his doings. The Lord is near to those who call on him, all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of all who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. And even the prophet Jeremiah, in the midst of preaching about God's judgment, says this, Thus says the Lord, Do not let the wise boast in their wisdom. Do not let the mighty boast in their might. Do not let the wealthy boast in their wealth. But let those who boast, boast in this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord. I act with steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight. Trust in the justice of God. God desires justice in the world for things to be put right according to his design and his good purposes. Now the question becomes, do we believe that to be true? And even more importantly, do we believe that he can actually do it? That he can establish his peace and righteousness and shalom in a world that is so full of injustice? What does that look like? After giving him this promise, the Lord said to Ahaz, if you do not stand firm in faith, you will not stand at all. And so this was a crucial decision for the king, to trust God, his God, or to bet on the might of Assyria. And it seems for a moment that he is still skeptical, so God invites him to ask for a sign, any sign. In the deepest depths or the highest heights, ask me for a sign. And he refuses. Ahaz says, I will not put the Lord to the test, which sounds like a very pious response, but in reality, this was the king refusing a direct invitation from the Lord to trust him. And so God offers him a sign anyway. Isaiah says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. A child will be born. That will be the sign of God's justice to come. It's the complete opposite of what Ahaziah expected, really. I mean, imagine you're on the brink of a war and someone hands you a baby. It's not the fix you were expecting. I mean, God could have given him armies. He could have brought down fire from heaven. He could have wiped out these foreign kings with a wave of his hand, but instead... He chooses a child. And the name of this child is Emmanuel, which means God with us. What does that say about God's justice? We know that these words, this promise, had meaning for Isaiah's own time. He says before this child is even old enough to know right from wrong, both of these kingdoms that Ahaz feared would be defeated. And within about 12 years from when this took place, both Syria and Israel were conquered by the Assyrians. But many years later, the Apostle Matthew was also right to recognize Jesus as this child that Isaiah was to come, or said was to come. 
He's the ultimate fulfillment of God with us. God himself in the flesh, making his home with us, coming to set all things right. And this reality, this gift of God, not just sending a messenger, but coming himself to be with us, to walk with us, and to strengthen us is incredible. We remember it and we celebrate it every Christmas. God comes to set things right in the person of Jesus and finally the justice of God will be accomplished. But here's where we also have to be careful. Because when we feel like we are on the right side of justice, it's far too easy to co-opt Jesus into being on our side and fighting with us for what we think is right. There's a professor at Union Seminary named Barbara Lundblad, and she tells the story of a colleague of hers whose name was Brigitte Kahl, who grew up in former East Germany. And Brigitte's father had served in Hitler's army. And she says that when that army invaded Russia, the German soldiers wore belt buckles inscribed with the words, Gott mit uns, God with us. So is that what this sign is intended to mean? (laughs) That God with us is supposed to be the rallying cry of us to defeat our enemies? (laughs) We have to be careful not to use God as a means by which we get our idea of justice. That's not what this is about. And that's why the sign of a child may be the most important part of this prophecy of Isaiah's. It's completely unexpected. Right, think about this. Is there a need for God's wrath against evil and terror? Of course. Does God have the right to judge us for our sinfulness? Absolutely. And does the world still need his justice? And arguably more than ever, right? But when it came time, God sent a woman and a child. He handed us a baby. (laughs) And that's because he is a God that comes not with armies or political leaders or even protest signs in his form of justice. Instead, he comes in a manger and in weakness. He comes not to fight but to disarm and to feed and to heal, to teach, to love, to forgive even when it's undeserved and to turn the other cheek. He comes with peace and joy and hope in the midst of pain and fear and brokenness. His way of setting things right is not just to act from above, but to walk alongside and to serve. I mean, that's why Jesus was threatening to the powers that were of his day. Like, not because he came to execute justice with military might, like everyone had expected, but because he preached that the least of these are blessed. His idea of justice upended the entire social system of people getting what they deserved. He didn't demand fairness. He demanded mercy. He didn't demand fairness. He demanded mercy. And in his death, instead of executing wrath and judgment, he took it and he bore it for us. That is the justice of God. A baby 
born in weakness, and a Messiah who went to the cross to take what we deserved and to love us into new life. So for me, that means that instead of living in fear and anger, we can now trust in the justice of God. We can lean into his idea of justice rather than our own. We can look for it and we can practice it. We can love our enemies and serve those who don't deserve it. We can choose to love in unexpected ways because Jesus is still, even in the midst of the worst of this world, showing up to set things right. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you that your justice comes in the form of mercy. Thank you for forgiving what we don't deserve to have forgiven. Thank you for showing up as a child and redefining what it means to make the world right. Teach us to walk in your way and to look for your path rather than our own. And Lord, as St. Francis of Assisi once prayed, Make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Teach us to live and love in unexpected ways and to anticipate your coming with joy this Christmas. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.